Welcome to this edition of How Legends Are Made podcast. Today we have my main man, Jim Batali, in the house. Can't wait to fire you up. Booyah. Hey everybody, welcome back to the How Legends Are Made podcast. As you know, I started this podcast to help athletes, to help youth develop the skills, the drive, the passion, the determination to go down and chase your dreams. No matter what's going on in your life, that you stay on the mountain, you keep battling, and you get the job done. Today, we've got a phenomenal guest with us, Mr. Jim Vitale, successful hockey player, played for the Vaughn Kings, GTHL, then he moved up, he played tier two, played for both Markham and Vaughn Vipers, nice Italian boy, he's gotta play for the Vaughn Vipers. Uh, completed his playing career, went to, um, went to Queens, Golden Gales, played there, began coaching in 1999. Dude, that's, uh, that's a long time ago. Yep. Um, and since then, he's had many successful coaching positions, minor hockey, all the way to national level. Jim is a family man. Uh, educator, he's, he's working with kids in schools or on the ice all year long, 12 months a year. He's an entrepreneur, he's passionate about helping athletes get to their full potential. I'm fired up to introduce Mr. Jim Vitale. Great to see How you, are you buddy? Good yeah. to see you, man. Thanks for coming in. It's always great to sit down with you, man. Yeah, hey, it's, it's good to, when hockey minds, you know, for years we seen each other in the hall, a hi, a goodbye, you know, text, whatever, and sort of sit down and kind of like shut the outside world out and yeah. just... Just kind of, you know, get get to share some of our expertise. I think between you and I, I don't even want to think. I mean, we're we're decades and decades of of experience and knowledge. You were just talking about uh, the Scotia Hockey Day in Canada and Ron McLean and hanging out with Lanny McDonald and yeah. Cass Campbell and, and PK and the gang. And so I think all of those moments we have collectively. Uh, no wonder, uh, no wonder you've been successful in in both the entrepreneurial and and the hockey and, and personal life. So awesome to be here, man. Well, just like you, <clears throat> surround myself with good people. I mean, it's funny because we kind of <clears throat> both grew our brands at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we kind of watched each other yeah. just learn, right? Yeah, yeah. And I learned from some of the things that you were doing. And yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's great to have you as a friend all these years. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and you're crushing on social media. I see you're posting stuff and you get lots of follows. So, so that's awesome. So I want to dig right in. For, to me, the, the, the most important thing, mm -hmm. I think, for, for us is hockey, and I, and I, I preach this, I practice it, is family, friends, right? It is building ourselves with a community of solid people. And you just hit the nail on the head. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, you're married, you got an amazing family. Tell me about your personal life when the hockey lights go off and the, the ring boards go away. What's Jim like behind the scenes and just chilling with family time? Chauffeur, <laughs> dance dad. Honeydew list. <laughs> Honeydew list. Uh, you know, I got a great wife. She takes care of the, the kids and driving them around while I'm on the road, obviously uh, living out my passion and uh, you know, earning a bit of money, yeah. So we can uh, support the girls in whatever programs they want to do. Um, I'm, I'm constantly growing. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, uh, leadership. Who's, who's your favorite? What do you What do you got right now on your phone or in the car? What was the last one you listened to? Right now, I'm listening to a book called Endurance. And it's talking about how athletes broke the uh, minute mile, and it uh, goes into everything from coming up with custom shoes and uh, all the troubles that came into that market. I'm seeing a lot of similarities between the custom skate market. Mm. And how the idea is great, the 3D scans are great, but the materials kind of subtract from what the skate's wow, supposed really, to be. Eh? Right? That's so amazing. Interesting book. Sure. See, I, I love the whole audiobook because growing up, I was not like a hardcore reader. Like my mom was like, you know, almost have to tape me to my chair to read because I had energy. I wanted to go out and do stuff. And audiobooks now, like I'll bang out an audiobook in three, four days driving just to and from work, right? right. So, so it's, it's a great way for me to... And, and so I'm saying this for the athletes, right? Don't tell me you don't have time. You know, instead of listening, to, and look, I'm a Post Malone fan, so I like my <laughs> I like my share of good hip music too. But once in a while, throw an audio book in there, right? I mean, what do you what do you tell the kids on that front? Well, it's funny because when I when I played junior uh, tier two for Mark Waxers, um, I was also trying to get academically into Queen's University, and there was in the phys ed program there was 474 applicants and only 80 82 people had got in. Right. And so I needed a pretty high average, and I didn't want to get stuck, you know, the way junior A buses. <laughs> and so what I would do, we had, we had Walkmans back then. I would tape record myself with the microphone, and I, I tape my chemistry or my, my Dude, biology notes. I love notes, that, man. I love and that. And I would sit on the bus, and I'd bob my head like this. <laughs> and listen to Tragedy Hips, New Album, or whatever. And the guys would leave me alone thinking I was in the zone. Yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, I was listening to myself read my bio notes to myself. Right? That's phenomenal. So I, I kind of give, you know, Hats off to anyone that can manage your time and still find a way to be an academic because 
there's no excuse. You can always find time. Yeah, to absolutely. You know, it's amazing whether I sit down with coaches or players and whether you're, you know, young like you and I or someone who's more, you know, sort of more gray-haired than us. Um, everybody talks about their younger years when they were young. Some, one of the last podcasts we did, someone, a young guy, but he was talking about uh, Bobby Orr and, and, and Dougie Gilmore. And those were that he remembers those times with dad introducing him to hockey. What were some of the young you know the young years whether it was two three four five whenever you started playing what was it like who was with was it like was mom and dad with you like supporting you uh you know what were those what were those times like emotionally and mentally for you as you were getting exposed to the game for the first time well my dad started me we were in brampton, <clears throat> brampton at the time and he started me in a hockey school in streetsville and uh, Do you remember the name of the school i don't it was a guy with skin, skin tight <laughs> jeans big curly afro and uh he used to make me push a pile when i was three years old i still got the picture somewhere um, no, they didn't make gloves for us back then. Right. <laughs> and I had the Gretzky, the white T TMP 1020, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, because it had his fake autograph <laughs> on it. And I just remember my dad would like always like, you know, if, if I stood up the whole day, I'd get a Krispy Crunch bar. And, you know, every hey, whatever it takes to battle out for a Krispy Crunch bar, buddy. <laughs> buddy, and every morning started out with the Gretzky Pro Star cereal because <laughs> that was supposed to make me skate faster, right? You fired up. You had, a, you had, he had like all the dots, oh. the dots, the eyes dot and T's crossed. I remember one time my dad he must have taken some extra time shaving or something. <laughs> my mom got my cereal ready and she gave me alphabets, <laughs> and I was just living. I, I sat on the ice the entire time. Threw off your whole routine. Would not get up. And my dad, no Krispy Crunch bar. The car ride home was a disaster. <laughs> and it was just because I had no Pro Star cereal. So I remember my first hockey school was um, here, Westward. And it was a Wendell Clark hockey school. I'm not sure if you went to that as How a kid. How old were you then? Eight, seven. Wow. And I remember coming here, expecting to find Lehman or Courtnell or Clark, even, because yeah. his name was on it. Yeah. And I get on the ice, and uh, you're never going to guess. Guess who steps up? Motor City Smitty. <laughs> you kids are like, whoa. whoa, right? Look him up, look him up. So he shows up and, you know, long locks. You know, he's showing us how to. Was, was he wearing a lumberjack jacket? No, but <laughs> probably underneath the jersey. Yeah. But the fact that he was, he was showing us how to skate was, like, to my dad, it was just like, what? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and I remember going, I'll never forget this. I went up to him and asked him a question about the stride. I think it had to do with why his back was so straight. <laughs> Anyways, I, I can see his face still in the lights of the rink. And he looked down at me and he goes, kid. Love to answer your question, but I got more money than brains. <laughs> and he skated away, and that was it, right? That was... To an eight-year-old kid, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think the highlight of my week was meeting Kelly McGillis here just after they filmed Top Guns. They were filming a movie. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, so I got to get Yeah, she was, uh, she was Tom, Tom Cruise's uh, Co -star love interest, right? Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. I got a kiss on the cheek when I was, you know, well, eight there you go. from her. So was... that, that's, that's the motivation. So you get one guy telling you he's got more money than brains, and you get some motivation from Kelly. Yeah, you know, so... And, and that day you probably had uh, pro stars for breakfast. It's like, you no, couldn't, no, can, no, you couldn't no. get any better as an eight-year-old yeah, kid. Yeah. I'm still looking for boxes of that, by the way. If you see me on eBay, you know, I can always use some. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they are. So how did, how did your mom and dad, you know, sort of outside of what they did in, in whatever cereal they gave you and get you to the ring, what were some things that they did as a family, you did as a family that really influenced you or, or you know, or taught you some sort of core lessons as a kid? You know, uh, it was just their dedication. Their dedication was always an example uh, for me and my sister. Um, I'd say my, my dad's just sacrifice at work. Uh, he was an, an entrepreneur in video stores back in the day. Oh, wow. And so anyone that bought their first VCR in Brampton, King City, or Richmond Hill. Probably got uh, it from him. Yeah. I mean, it is, his work ethic was, was second to none. And uh, he always taught me that no matter what, even if I had, never, never mind what you can't control. Um, you know, as a rookie, if I never got any ice, it didn't matter because if I had that one shift a game, it better have been a good shift. And that's all we would talk about on the ride home wasn't um, complaining about coaches ever. It was nice. always about what did you do on that one shift that you got and how are you going to work hard in the next practice to, uh, to earn more shifts. Do, do you think that's because he was more old school? You know, like, like I don't know, how, was, was he first generation here in Canada? Uh, he came over when he was six. So. Yeah, so he, he had a, a lot of him was from the old country, right? Do you think some of that was like kind of the European of like, look, you got to work hard, you do your thing, and, and you, you move on? Yeah, there's no doubt there were a lot of, uh, you know, home Italian values in there. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just the type of guy he was. You know, he had eight brothers and I'm sure in a family like that you have to fight for yeah, yeah, yeah. every scrap you get. That's so, my piece of bread, right? Go in first for exactly going going first with the fork. Mom puts the thing on the table and you know, <laughs> if you want it you gotta go out and get it. That's kinda of the way I've always That's awesome. Now your daughter's involved in hockey? No, uh, one was a synchronized swimmer. Yeah. And one's a dancer. Now they're both dancing. So 
Yeah, it's funny. My daughter, my youngest daughter, the first time we came to the rink, she was probably five or six, just tall enough to see over the boards. We are at Iceland, and I was going in to speak to a Mississauga Chiefs girls team. So I thought, here's a great opportunity, right? Take Taylor to the rink. Yep. And she had been, like, we had skated a little bit. And as we walked in, it's funny how fate is. As we walked in and we got to the boards, these two young girls, maybe two, three years older than Taylor, so maybe they were seven, eight, and they were house league, and they came together and they bumped into each other. And you know one of those slow motion, like you're teetering back on your heels, and then they fell right on their bums, both of them simultaneously, right as Taylor could like see over the boards. And she looked at me, she goes, it looks like, it looks like that would hurt. And before I could even respond, she said, that's why I'm never going to play hockey. Oh. And I thought, isn't it interesting? Like, if I had, if we had walked in and there was someone scoring in a big celebratory moment, there might have been a spark for her to say, "Hey, I want to, I want to try that," or wouldn't like to get out there. Yeah. But, but I think it's amazing to see the girls. You, know, you talk about the swimming or the dance. It's like watching them do their thing. Yeah. I mean, you must get a kick out of that as a coach. Kind of, you sit back with the coaches hat off and just watch as a dad. Yeah, because I know nothing about either sport, and I'd have to kind of learn. Like, I had no idea what a needle was or a Russian or a jeté and dance, right? And I hear my wife talking to the coaches talk, and you know, you you just look at the smile on your kid's face, and, yeah. and then you see to yourself, well, as a coach, am I putting those smiles on the kid's faces, mm. right? Like, do they love, you know, being around me as a coach as much as I can see my daughters enjoying dance, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you learn a lot as a parent. Like, when I started this thing, I was 18, and I, I was coaching at 20, and I had no idea what a kid even ate for dinner all the mm. time he went to bed, and I was trying to tell parents you know what a kid needs on the ice and I think as a as a as a parent now I'm a way better coach so so you yeah you were young right when you started what was it that, that the bug or the spark that had you want to go to the rink and because I'm sure you had friends that were you know up all night on the weekends and looking at you going to the rink early and thinking Jimmy what are you doing yeah. I mean what was it that had you just want to go all in and, and be a coach uh I, I we we billeted a Ukrainian national team for the Quebec Wee tournament time I was playing for Lindsay Hofford and uh, Sam Ciccolini uh, was a big part of organizing that and you know they ended up sleeping at our house and looking at these kids and the way they skated was like you know I just I wanted to train with them so I was the only kid on our team that got a chance to work exclusively with them although coach came out and ran a couple of our practices but over a three-year period I had learned so much that um, I just I I couldn't wait to teach other kids this style of of um, skill development right that had such a an amazing progression to it and the more i threw my kinesiology degree in there and the more i i learned about the way the body works uh whether it was dissecting a cadaver or studying force vectors in biomechanics um it just became so powerful right and i got to really see a lot different under the skin when when a player is doing a a skill compared Mm. to compared to most people that I, i just think it's a shame not to Right, um, right. So you're, so you're looking at it as, I mean, pardon the pun, but a couple layers deeper, yeah. not just the superficial of, is the kid extending enough? No, no. Right, that's great. Um, you know, I, I said at the start, family and friends, and, and so, and this is where, you know, I th- when, I, when I think about having you come here and where you can impart knowledge on, on the viewers and listeners is, is um, I look back at the relationships I forged, friendships, you talk about being a player, playing for Lindsay. Um, how important is it when you're coaching a team, if you could pass a message to the to the kids you're coaching or kids in general about how to be a good quality teammate, a good quality character person in the room, because they're they're a family, I mean of sorts. And so and then and then how important is it to be a part of the fabric of that friendship slash family and be a quality person? Well I always tell the kids everybody can play a trumpet, but nobody not everybody can play in, a, in an orchestra. Because mm. to to play that instrument which is already hard enough to master. I love that, yeah. Right, to play at that instrument in tune with everybody else. And to lower your ego, even though you're the best player, mm. to lower your ego in a sense that you're willing to take minor roles at times. Yeah, maybe this supporting, song has very little trumpet involvement, right? Supporting roles, hey, I was a great bass guitarist in high school, but there was only two plugs. And from grade <laughs> nine to grade 11, I had to sit there sometimes unplugged and watch the grade 12 guy. Yeah, yeah. I was better than play and right. sometimes I had to pick up the cast and heads or sandbox I was so, awesome on the triangles yeah, buddy yeah. but I mean hey even when I had to you know there's a lot of guys like I, I got a chance to coach with Wayne Primo for seven years and uh, one of the best human beings I've ever met in the game mm. and there's a guy who got 190 points uh, or, or 90 points sorry in his last year I think in the old and ended up uh, 
you know, being a third, fourth line mm -hmm. role player in the NHL. Yeah. I was talking to Darcy Tucker about that the other day as well uh, on, on set with Scotia. And hey, listen, it's not what you can do, I tell the kids. It's got nothing to do with what you can offer. It's got to do with how you fit in to what the grand scheme. Like every team, every association is bigger than any player. Mm. And, and you have to be able to understand that. And you have to be able to lower your eagle, eagle and just do your ass, even if it's not what you're used to. Right? Yeah, I love that analogy of the trumpet, right? Because it's so true. Because you could have, you know, a, a symphony orchestra that travels the world like on the biggest stages. And if you and I, you playing the bass and I'm on the trumpet, and this on this one we're just playing a couple of a couple of notes, but yet we're still benefiting yeah. from the entire experience, right? And that's very much like a. And and I also want to be the high five support guy who I know is really struggling with his violin because he's just got some bad news yeah. about mom or dad. Yeah. And, and it's like, I'm, I hope that he can really perform, right? It's ultimate team. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and I tell my kids all the time, you're not playing against the other team. I always say, who are we playing tonight? And the kids always say, ourselves, coach. And I'm always like, your, your task has nothing to do with, with what the other team's doing. They're playing their game. You have to be able to plug in, bring your brand of what you offer to our specific team or the line that you've been placed on and plug into the tempo of the game mm. and just just dissolve with it. Right? Mm. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You you uh, I mean I know enough from seeing you online and, and from the you know we've done for years. I mean you're an entrepreneur doing really well. You're an educator. Clearly you're 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 fully invested in the education of of you know the classroom per se and also of the athletes. You're a dad. You're a husband. I mean you've got all these balls. You're you're they're in the air. You've got you're in good shape. What do you do? Because you, you know you're walking the walk, right? What do you do to stay in shape mentally, physically? I know you talked about audiobooks, but what are some other things that you do? that a player could look at and say, man, if coach can do all that stuff, then I can certainly do it too. Yeah, I, I think always walking around like someone's looking at you as a role model, even though you might not be. But I always just try to make sure that, um, you know, having eyes on me or imaginary eyes makes me uh, act in a way that I'm always going to stay sharp. Um, I, I take time to go to the gym because uh, I think if you don't, you know, there's a lot of young guys that are, really opening up the market, uh, hockey school market now. And I think, you know, hitting my 40s this year, uh, being able to compete um, yeah, yeah. at that level uh, is important to stay sharp. Um, I, I think also just being responsible with the gift that we were given, right? Being stewards of everything around us, uh, next generations of human beings, the planet, um, relationships. I mean, listen, we were put on the earth to create. And that's, that's as simple as it is. And anything that has to do with advice, whether it be gambling or anything else, usually is inward and it's selfishness um, and you just try to stay away from that stuff and just always think like how can I be creating like when mm. you call me to do this um, this is this is creating it's creating knowledge for other people um, creating relationships new techniques in hockey building something in education uh, relationship with my wife uh, experiences for my kids so I'm always just trying to create everywhere I, I go right yeah that's phenomenal what, what do you what do you tell a kid or maybe a family that says that we don't have time because little Johnny's got three things on the go and, and we just don't have time. What, what do you tell someone like that? You know, I, I, I agree with the fact that people don't have time. It's because their values aren't in order. I think if everything you're doing is value-based, then the time is wisely spent. Mm. So the problem most people get is that they don't know what they value. So you end up getting people running around doing whatever is in front of them that isn't necessarily based on their values. So whether they're spending money that's not based on their values or mm. whether they're wasting time on things that aren't value-based. So they can't keep track. And then when they turn around to look around at something that all of a sudden is value-based, like working out and stay healthy, oh, I don't have time to do it. And then right. they're, they're drinking the soda. And they're, but if you really know yourself and you know your values and you're not afraid to be alone and, and take time to think, mm. then I, I think life seems like there's a lot more time. Right? Yeah. If a player came to you or a family came and said, hey, you know, you've done an assessment and we need to work on this laundry list of things, let's pick off the top two. Uh, if they haven't developed their rituals or habits yet, what, what would be something that little Johnny or little Susie could do at home, even if it's 15, 20 minutes, maybe it's sitting alone, like what would be something that they could do as a starting point to just slowly change the position of the needle? So like from my understanding and the dozens of audiobooks, I'm sure you do the same thing is, um, I, I read uh, Warren Buffett's, I listened to it, it was 37 hours. And one of the things that he always said, even Malcolm Gladwell alludes to this, is taking time to think and writing down everything. 
Like I've been to dinner with a lot of great hockey dads. Some have a very successful company. And we'll be talking, also they'll go, hold on a second. Pull out the little black book out of their pocket. They'll be scribbling something. I'll be like, like. And so I think writing down your thoughts mm -hmm. and taking time to just visualize who you want to be. Um, you know, there's a great marine book that talks about creating a mental uh, mind gym. Mm -hmm. It could be anything. And it, it's funny, I don't, I don't tell many people this, but I actually have created one. I don't visit probably as much as I, I can. But I go in there and it's this kind of like cement Aztec thing. And it's steps that go up and it's, it's fresh air up there and you can see the trees around it blowing. And, and I've gotten to the point where I can do it pretty vividly. And guess who the guy I always talk to up there is? You're gonna laugh. I don't know. It's freaking Gandalf. No way, <laughs> He really? comes out and he sits there. <laughs> and, and it's weird, right? I mean, it's not that he says anything mind-blowing, but it's just kind of like I'm getting a chance to air out in that little mm. visualization session. And there's this big wizard in front of me. And sometimes I, you know, I come to and I'm just laughing, right? But it's just something that could be amazing. as dumb as that. And I'm sure there's people going to watch this listen and say this guy's out of his mind, right? But it's something that I think just helps me air out the laundry and just put stuff away and, and pick up stuff that I really want to concentrate yeah, on. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you think, when we look at the game itself, the, the game of hockey, you know, sort of conflicting discussion about, do you think the game is changing? And if it is, is it is it evolving in the right way? Or, or is it is it sort of, is it deteriorating? I think one of the big things that, I see playing minor hockey is uh, volunteer coaching. And I had this discussion with Jeremy Rupke the other day, and he said volunteer has to happen at younger age groups. You know, pro-paid coaches like myself or other guys has to be more in the advanced. And I, I understood his point because, you know, we're both small-town boys. He's Huntsville. You know, I, I was like a Brampton guy, a Woodbridge guy when Woodbridge was a village. Yeah. And we had volunteer coaches, and, I, and I, I get that. But I think what I'm starting to see now is a lot of the volunteer coaches are only doing it to control the ice time. Mm. It's not that same old school, like, I need to do this because I got great knowledge and I want to pass it on to the kids and I already got a, a, a good job providing for my family so I don't need any money. Right. Now it's the guys that are doing it, have great jobs, but they also have kids on the team. And sometimes the kids aren't very, very mm. good. And it's either they're, they're doing it and they're controlling the guys coming into the development for the free lessons at Christmas time, or right. they're doing it to control the power play. and, and, and I very rarely talk to a parent on a volunteer coach team where um, they're happy. They're happy with the ice time, they're happy with the distribution Interesting. Or, the, or the leadership of communication. I think what I'd like to see is volunteer coaching, no doubt, but I'd like to see associations at least paying one person to now oversee. Right. And I, I seen uh, um, I mean, it's sort of like in the U.S. model, right? Like right. I know Chicago Chill, there's a few of them, they do it that way. Right, right. And, and I've seen a lot of uh, new associations coming up, like the Beast. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of doing that where it's like one hockey development school and none of the coaches are, are paid. They have, you know, inserted guys from the hockey school on the benches, but at least managing right. to make sure the kids are treated properly, right? right. And these are different models, but I think something has to happen because, you know, uh, it, it's really going in that direction where there's just a, an abuse of power mm. I, I see happening in a lot of these gra grassroots level, like Jeremy's right. talking. You know, if we can get more of the old world, old school, look into that volunteer coaching responsibility, then I agree with Jeremy 100%. What are, what are no, I call them blind spots that you see parents have when they go to the rink? Uh, you know, when they're any whether their little Johnny is just starting out or they're you know they're playing for you. Like, what are what are if, if you could if you could sort of pinpoint a couple? What are some blind spots that parents, if they could correct them, would like catapult their kids' IQ and drive and passion, etc. Well, I think watching everyone, right, and not watching just their own mm -hmm. kid, um, staying at practice to watch, right, and and again, not just being glued to your kid, but like being close enough to listen to what the coach is saying. Because I think what happens is a lot of times parents, they're emotional. They right. show up to the rink, whether they've had a good or bad day at work, they don't take the time to woo-sa and, and park all that stuff in the car. They, they, need, they need to go to their mental gym. Well, maybe they yeah. do, right? But if they gotta do something to park everything and leave it in the car when they exit. Yeah. And, and show up with a good frame of mind, entering the rink so they can watch without all that emotion from the day coming out and being a sort of case of transference. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that they need to do, listening, um, you know, asking the coach, so what's being worked on? What can I do? Because mm -hmm. not a lot of coaches are, are, are good. Oh, uh, what can I do at home to reinforce what you're doing? Right, like I just want to know what you're talking about, right? I mean, we've all had it where, you know, we're, we're playing, 
you know, lanes, right? Defensive zone lanes and staying in the lanes. And you got a kid at the top of the circle, you know, holding the lane um, to the top of the circle when the puck's in the corner. And you hear the mom going, get in there! Yeah, she yeah. yelled at the winger to get in there. He's and the kid doesn't know what to do, right? She doesn't want to see him stand still, right? So I think parking the emotional side, mm. coming in with a better frame of mind, um, and really getting in touch with what, what's going on on the ice. Because ice time is dictated in practice, you know? not a game time decision where the coach all of a sudden decides I'm not playing your kid. Right. But parents see it that way. Right. And they get even more emotional. Yeah, right? for sure. So understanding, you know, where ice time really comes from. Yeah, that really resonates when you talk about, you know, have the conversation, find out what the coach is, is, is doing. Um, like I know my daughter when you know, talk about math. And so I was no math wizard. I mean, it's, it's, I, I share that right. openly. Right. Um, but I also knew enough that when Taylor would come home with a math problem, like I could figure it out. Right. But... I used to say to her, but I don't want to tell you how to do it because if I'm telling you the wrong way and you're, it's already a bit of a struggle, right. all I'm going to do is confuse matters. And so it was like, let me get in touch with the teacher. Let's get you extra help that's in alignment with that teacher's teaching. Right. So that's the way I'm supporting as opposed right. to either getting in there or calling the teacher and saying, you know, you're doing it the wrong way, whatever right. the case is, yeah. right? So, so when you, if you have a parent that calls you and says, hey, Jim, you know, what are we, how are we working on that thing? And then you can give them a breakdown of, look, just work on these two things with little Johnny at home and let me do the rest. Oh, just playbook. Have a playbook. Right. And always keep the parents in tune with where, where you are. Yeah. In the, in the playbook. Right? What was the first team you coached? <laughs> so I didn't get along with my, my, my Queen's University coach. Uh, you left out one team in your intro. After Christmas, he wasn't a big rookie guy. I'm not going to say who he was because... He's a pro scout now. Um, but he sent all of us down to go play for the same team that Gord Downey played for. Oh, wow, um, really? The Junior C Ernestown Jets in Kingston. <laughs> so my next year, uh, I went back to the Queens team and didn't see eye to eye with them. I decided I was done. And walking home from the rink on the corner of Princess Street on the street pole was coach needed for the Church Athletic League. And it's the oldest league in Canada. And I was a St. John's Anglican midget house league coach. Love it, man. Yeah, and Love it was the oldest league in Canada. We had a little church lady. She wore big fish earrings, <laughs> and she was our convener. What was what was one of your first memories, of, like being the coach and, and getting that feeling of like you know you're you're bringing value, you're bringing input to the to the boys. Uh, our first practice, I'd run like a you know because I'd run, been running things with Lindsay Hoffer for years. I'd already started vital hockey skills and had uh, some stuff under my belt. I ran the practice, and there was just a crowd of people in the Kingston in the arena. And uh, the gentleman came over to me after practice. He took his hat off. He said, that was the greatest practice I ever saw. Can, can I get your phone number from my team? Uh -huh. And he wrote my name in the Bible. In the cover, <laughs> in the cover of the Bible. You're in the Bible, and I man. I to my mom, I made the Bible. And uh, it was just the funniest experience, right? That's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. And so you finished the year with them? I finished the year with them. We won the whole thing. Big thing to win a house league championship. Yeah, well, no doubt. You're probably the only guy that, that could coach. Yeah. And, you know. and, and at that point, it was my second year at Queens. My dad got sick. He ended up getting epilepsy. Um, you know, things kind of fell apart, and I had to come home. Couldn't mm -hmm. afford it anymore. And uh, I transferred to York and uh, ended up coaching with Lindsay Offord and Peter Zezel that year. Oh, back, wow. back with the Vipers as an assistant coach. Yeah, Zezel's a big uh, guy. Uh, learning from both Linz and Zez that year was just unreal. And, yeah. Uh, I was on as a student coach, just kind of helping out with the York team the year yeah. the year after, and I got to spend three more years with Graham Wise, um, oh, wow. helping him. So was, another, that at, was that at York? At York, another, yeah. another great mentor. And of course, part of the Kim program at York was uh, Dave Chambers. And he mm. was oh, wow. he was running it at that point. He was like the the most authoritative right. author in in the whole hockey skills. I would give classes to hang out with him, and there were great guys that were my professors, but. Again, I formed relationships like Tudor Papa, mm. who's like the coach of periodization. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the guru of periodization. He's the, grand, he, he's the godfather right. of periodization. And so I sure. hang out with him quite a bit in the lab and understand the VO2 max tests and things that they were putting on. And it was just, you know, I don't know. I was supposed to do a, a master's in coaching with Dave Chambers. And uh, it was at uh, in Toronto. And then he ended up folding the whole program to take a coaching job in uh, Switzerland. Oh, wow. And so I went to teacher's college and Here met my are. wife. And, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what do you ask your athletes to do from a, from a health perspective, whether it's eating, sleeping, stretching? Like, what are some things, some fundamentals in your playbook that are like the mantras that the boys got to stick to? Hydration, uh, skipping sugar, 
getting sugar. sugar okay, so anybody that's listening or watching, yeah. this is when you get your notepad out, right? And or you, you hit the rewind and, and you listen, right? Because these are things as, as accomplished as you are. These are hacks. Yeah. These are gold nuggets that you're making available. So hydration, watch your sugar intake. Yeah. So if you can get all sugary drinks out of your system. So um, so let's go through. So obviously pop. Are you talking juices too, like apple yeah, juice, orange yeah. juice? Uh, Gatorade. Okay. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna do a Gatorade, it's got to be half. Um, I always tell kids, you know what? Get a water bottle from home, drink half of it, and then fill the rest up with Gatorade. That's okay. all you. That's all you're gonna need. I know Gatorade's not gonna do that. Me saying that, um, but uh, I always say, when you when you look at your diet, you can't cut carbs out, but um, I would say complex carbs, hours before the game, are more important than simple carbs because okay. um, you're not you're not gonna break anything down in a meal before a game. It's not gonna be till way after the game that that's gonna fuel it. Um, I'm a big fan of branch chain amino acids over protein drinks. Um, protein bars, if... So walk the viewers through what a branch uh, chain amino acid so would be. Amino acids are the, the fundamentals of proteins, right? And they chain themselves together. And then what happens is they get folded into complex structures, whether it's uh, a red blood cell or whether it's something as complex as hair and muscle tissue or nails. Um, that's a, a folded up, like a, a circus balloon, um, you know, like a, like a dog or a little boat. Um, those are those are the way your protein, your chain amino acids are being folded. When you take something complex in terms of a protein drink afterwards, your enzymes have to clip all those ends and unfold it all, and then clip it into its base amino acids. So you can, so you're going to assimilate in the body. Right, and so that takes a long time. Mm. And you have to have good amino acids from the rest of your diet. Right. Right, which usually kids don't have. Teen, right. Teens don't have. Well, I laugh. I was saying to someone on the podcast recently that, you know, a parent will say to me, we're going away to a tournament. We have a game at 10 o'clock on Saturday and 4.15. What should we eat between? I say, well, I've watched your kitty Oreo cookies and Pop-Tarts for the last nine months. Whatever you eat between there is going to have such little bearing on him in terms of performance. Like, what do you want me to do, right? Right, right. right. So, I mean, I'm a big fan is, is, is getting the right amount of branching amino acids right after a work, right after a practice or a workout. Um, again, if there's going to be a protein bar, the ones at the variety at the uh, pharmacies are, are great. That are just literally like 11 grams of protein with like two grams of sugar. Mm. And you're not, you're not eating that to enjoy it. Like right. those big, thick, chocolatey peanut ones. Right, right. You're eating these things because they're like a medicine for you. Right. So you know what? You're washing it down with water, getting it in you, and, and that's about it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I think once you are practicing, you got to be realistic. You are damaging the body. You're damaging your muscles. And you got these divots, muscle tears, microscopic as they are, that if you're not putting the cement over right away with valuable stuff, then your body's now going to have to fight to break down other things like fats and stuff to fill that in, and it's going to be too late. You only got about a 45 minute window, mm. right? Okay, so great. you got to watch the amount of sugars, got to watch what type of proteins you're putting in, and you got to stay hydrated. I'd yeah. say, you know the old thing, one pint of water for every pound that you lose in an activity. Right. Right. When I coached at York, we had the board up there. You weighed yourself before a game, and, after. and then after, you know, you, you put your, your, your weight down and subtracted it, and that's how much water you had to drink. What about sleep? Sleep's huge. It's, it, Wayne Primo used to always say sleep is a weapon, mm. and he used to always tell our kids that, because it's true. Um, you know, it's your body is getting its opportunity to repair itself and use all those valuable nutrients mm. when you're sleeping. What would I asked you before? What are some blind spots around about performance? What what would be some blind spots that you could share with the viewers and listeners around nutrition? I'm not a nutritionist. I mean, I, I only through my own experimentation. Mm -hmm. But I would say anytime you can cut out vast amounts of like carbohydrate that's going to end up in your system right away and spike insulin, then you're doing yourself a favor as an athlete okay. in staying lean and being able to let, give your body a chance to use fat as a fuel, right? So what would be, what would be a good fuel that you recommend your boys to take after a, pra after a hard practice? I see everybody's racing for chocolate milk. Yeah, you know what? I, chocolate milk is a misnomer because of the amount of sugar in it. Mm. So I'm always saying, Go with a really low branch chain amino, amino acid drink. Usually, a lot of them are aspartame, and um, you know I know that's not the best for you. But if you water that down properly, it's a great way to have a low sugar, um, good good protein blast, right? That, that's going to okay. amount awesome. to something, right? Awesome. Um, you you talk a lot about 
uh, winning, right? Winning, losing. What, and you talked before about the boys. You tell the boys you're not, you're not playing against them. You're playing against yourself. What do you consider a win? I think if uh, a group of kids can play for each other, play their brand of hockey according to the way we've outlined it. We have meetings with the players, mm. and we're constantly giving feedback. This is, you know, what you do best, and this is what we need you to do. So anytime you get a group of kids buy into that, and they bought into developing their brand, and they, they're buying into plugging into the game and just playing for each other, then I don't care what the scoreboard says. Mm. Right? It's all about effort, and it's all about collectively assessing how we performed as a team after the game. Right? Right. Kids are intelligent beings, and after the game, those discussions are all about how do you think we played. If you could, knowing what you know now as a coach, if you could go back as a player with your same knowledge, what would be the one thing, the most valuable tool that you know now that would have helped you back then as a player? I think playing more of, like in my later years, playing more of a role uh, in what the coach expected of me. I was always a hard worker, but I had such great coaches like Lindsey Hofford, and it was hard to really play for anyone else. Mm. And uh, when, when I was pushed outside my comfort zone in terms of taking on other roles, um, I don't think I did that as well. I think that's why I'm really um, a big communicator as to what I expect. Because mm. um, coaches weren't that good in, in communicating that with me. Right. Um, but I was kind of never that good in, in going to them and figuring right. it out. I always kind of said, this right. is what I bring. Hope you can use it. Right. And that's not always the case at the highest right. level. Right. Do you want players to come to you and say, coach, I don't understand? This? I want them to ask a lot of questions. I try to go to them as much as I can, but I want them to ask a lot of questions. I want them to get used to the fact that they might not play for someone when, when that person's making 170000 a year mm. and food on their table depends on the athlete's performance. Right. Um, they may not have the time to relate, right. and they may just get the scissors up, right? Yeah, yeah. So being that or, empty or your up, cup. Or up, or up in the press box. Right, which I spent, <laughs> spent a lot of time. <laughs> uh, being able to empty your cup so it may be filled is, is a huge right. Uh, thing that you try to teach the kids. Ego gets you nowhere. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, when when you look now, you look through the lens of a coach, and I see the stuff you post online. I, you know, we'll see what you have on your website. You're clearly committed to helping that kid or those kids be better. Um, what is it inside you that fuels you? Because the stuff you post on Instagram, for example, no one's writing you a check for that, right? I mean, yeah, you're a paid coach, and there are some things you do as an entrepreneur to get paid. I mean, we all do. But a lot of the stuff you post is good, rich, valuable content. You're being here today. That you you want to you want to impart that knowledge. What is it inside of you that that, that says, yeah, I want to go do that. I want to share that information. It's uh, I get kind of emotional talking about this, but um, I had a good friend die um, in a plane crash mm. named Igor Korolev, mm. which uh, a lot of guys know, and. Uh, I don't think I've ever met a more brilliant hockey mind than Igor. And we had, we had plans maybe to coach together. I learned a lot from him. He'd come to Vital Hockey quite a bit, worked with the kids, and I just was in awe with how he reached out to kids and how, how much he had to, to teach. And I think when he passed away, it really hit home that a lot of kids aren't going to get a chance to learn from that guy. Mm. And listening to the guy speak at his funeral and how much he had helped them, I don't ever want to go and have that hole where I didn't reach enough kids. Mm. Um, so that really, uh, that really hit me hard when he mm. passed away in that plane crash with the locomotive. And, yeah. and uh, I think that's a driving force for me. It's just, I want to be there for kids and I want to make sure, uh, you know, that I, if I'm on my last couple of breaths, I know I, I've reached as many mm. as I possibly could. Yeah, it's like that, it's like that emotion, the sadness or the fear of like, like I don't want to miss any kid. Like I don't want to. Maybe this is the post that's going to get that one kid to learn, to see, to feel that he could do it. Yeah. So, so on that note, if you have a kid in front of you, you're not coaching him, or you are, and and you can sense that he's there's this give up in him, and and he's not being he's not being uh, stylistic. He's not being a challenge. You can just tell. Like maybe it's something at home. He's just he's just shutting things down. He's giving up on himself. Giving up on the dream. What's what you know? So I know there's a lot of viewers that you know are are, are logged in now, and maybe one of them are, are thinking that way. Like I'm too old, I'm too small. I've been told so many times I can't make it. What do you what do you tell a kid like that? You always have something to offer. 
there's always a team that needs some aspect of what you can do really good. Mm. And you just got to, again, your values and your talents, you just got to be able to dive into what you do really well and do it better than anyone, whether it's just being the best back checker in the league and <laughs> getting coaches to know, I might not be able to do much, but I'll back check, and they'll, they'll never be an open guy in the neutral zone. Mm. Um, having something, having your brand. Having, I mean, I, I've transferred as a science teacher in education into the expulsion program in my board. Mm. And I'm working with kids that have never had anyone believe in them. And these are kids that are coming from really tough families in tough situations, coming straight out of jail sometimes. And I think the number one thread that connects everybody from successful university-bound students to these kids is just that everyone needs someone to believe in them. Mm. You need someone to show you what you're good at. Right. Because it's really hard to see sometimes. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if I could be that, fulfill that role as best as I can, whether it's in an online post, answering a kid's comment who starts out saying, I know you're not going to answer this, mm. and is just beside themselves when they do, um, or, or that kid in my class who's just like, coming from the worst family history possible, right. that's never had someone say, you know what, you look good today. What are you, what are you wearing in your hair? Mm. Right? right? So, yeah. You know. it's, like being, it's like noticing them, right? Just recognizing, seeing something. I think as adults, that's our job. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you tell a kid who, I mean, clearly you're locked into being of service and being kindness and compassion. What, what, what do you tell an athlete, even some of the kids you're coaching now, about the value of giving back, of being a service, holding the door, being kind? You know, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on, on kids? You know, should they do more of that? And, and how, do, how do you get them to do that? You're only, you're only as good as, your legacy is only as good as your service. Mm. Um, Gord Downing, say, say that again? That's awesome. Your legacy is only as good as your, your service. Gord Downing, his last album, I'm a big hip fan, and uh, it was his dying album, and he said to help is to transcend, and it's all we have. Mm. It's one of his lyrics. And to help others is really all there is. So every, every chance you get, to make someone feel better about themselves or help someone believe in themselves or just help someone take the load off their back who's carrying a huge load, you know, load on their back, it's, it's, it's your responsibility. It's yeah, your just, just the, even emotionally, just for that, like you said, that moment to let that kid know you recognize his hair or something, right? Yep. Yeah. I, I think human performance stems from fulfilling your human responsibility. Mm. Yeah, because I see a lot of, no, I agree with that. I think a lot of kids, they think, well, I'm too young. Like, like I, 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 haven't, I can't make an impact yet. When I get to Jim's age, or Dan's age, or you know, whatever, then I can, like, get the shovel and start helping, right? Versus saying, hey, what are the little things you can do now? Like you said, being aware. Like, maybe when you're in grade seven, maybe you look at a kid who's in grade three. And you notice that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe open the door, let them walk through first, right? Something like that yep. is, is starting, starting to contribute back to the to younger people. You, you just got to be a, big, a good person. I remember when I was scouting at York, I was up in the stands and um, I had all these, my first scouting job, right? so I had all these forms, you know, on my clipboard and I, they were beautiful spreadsheets. <laughs> and this guy, old, old Silver Fox scout, the OHL scout came, sat next to me, he goes, hey, you're new, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm, going, I'm scouting for York University. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, are these your forms? And I said, yeah. He goes, can you mind if I see them? And he looked at them and he ripped them. Tore them all and threw them on the floor. And he took my clipboard and he goes, watch the game. I'll see you down in the snack bar afterwards. And he's like, I don't want a hot, I don't want a hot dog. What the hell's going on? So I watched the game. I was thinking, what's Graham going to say? I don't have a report. I'm dead. And I went down there afterwards and he said, this is where the scouting starts. He said, you stand here, you watch the kids before and after the game. Watch how they carry themselves. Watch how they comb their hair. Watch how they tuck in their pants. Watch how they talk to their moms. Watch how they treat other people. He said, they passed that test, then you could bring your pretty little forms to the rink. And he shoved my clipboard back into my stomach <laughs> and I stood next to him. And it was just incognito, just watching. Amazing. And listening. So true though, right? Absolutely. We, we all know, I know for me, a lot of the success I've had, I've, I've leaned on other people, I've watched, I follow. We, you know, we're talking earlier, I mean, I've, I learned from stuff that you do on, on, online. There was something that you wrote on your, on your website and you said that you continue to strive to remain at the cusp of the latest hockey development methodologies and works extensively with minor hockey teams in Toronto. What, what is, like, where did that idea come from of like, okay, I'm, I'm good now, and I'm always going to be getting better. I'm always a work in progress, and therefore that's what's going to have me be one of my greatest assets back to the kids. It's just, it's fun to learn. Yeah. Learning's everywhere, right? And I think that's the key. Like, I think, um, again, if you know your values, and I value, I value learning in mm. education. Uh, I value learning, and I value being an example of lifelong learning. And one of the things, I mean, you know, you look at some of the young guys, like Danny Bacher and some of these guys that are just coming up through the ranks, and there's a lot of OGs that look right. at them like, oh, they're infringing on our territory. Right, right. These guys are being all flash. 
I love it, man. Yeah. You know, you do what you're good at. And I, and I just watch and I learn. And I'm like, man, these kids are so talented. And, you know, and, and I hope they, they see me the same way. And if there's mm -hmm. something that they could take from me. But I mean, being a lifelong learner is not something that just happens to you. It's, it's something that when you really understand yourself, it comes up, yeah. Man. Yeah, and, and I see this in you, and, and this this probably goes more to parents and to coaches that are watching now. And, and when I watch you, and I think Bachner's the same way, and, and a bunch of other guys, Lindsay for sure. Um, and I felt I was like this too. Is when I watch you on the ice with the guys, and you call them in, or you stop the drill, like they're listening listening intently because they're worried that they might miss something, as opposed to a coach who the players are listening to because they're worried they're going to get in trouble if they don't listen. Right? And, and, and that's a big thing. And so that worry, that respect, it's like, you know, I, I want to be so plugged into Jim that, because that, if I miss that thing, I don't know, maybe, maybe it'll affect my power play. I don't know, right. maybe not. But what it's really going to affect is it might be that link right. that I may never, ever get again that's going to be the separation between where I am and where I want to be. And that's, and that's what, when I read that, that's what I hear. is like, you're so committed to learning that you can't help but be a conduit for more when you come back to the rink and share your new learning or your new audio book or whatever it is with, with the athletes. I mean, have you always been like that even when you were young, when you were going to school? Were you always like thirsty to, to know more? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, there were some coaches that fed off it, right? Like a guy like, I always bring Lindsay up as one of my best coaches. Um, and there were other coaches in junior that couldn't stand it. Cause they thought I was kind of like, well, you're like a threat. Yeah, too much. Like you know. Anyway, so. Um, <laughs> but I've always been hungry to learn. I've always been hungry to, to, to just follow other people's examples. I mean, I just watched you grow your brand, and I gotta say, I mean, like, it's been a long time running. And yeah, you've yeah. done a hell of a job. So I got oh, great guys like you that have all. I've always tried to kind of walk in your footsteps too, and and just. When things don't work, I've seen you start projects that don't work, and then you just take the best of it and you funnel it into something else. And you've always been good at that. And I've always learned, you know. So learning from others and just trying to be have fun with it, you know. Like. That's awesome. Yeah. No. Thanks for saying that. I, I I feel that when my daughter said to me years ago, she said, "You're you're a pioneer." In my mind, I'm thinking pioneer of like horse and pony. <laughs> and she was learning in school about pioneers yeah. or leaders, people that go first. And and I thought, yeah, like I feel like I've done that, and, and I, I I think you know there's there's no coincidence that we're sitting here together because the people that I reach out to that you feel like oh that's a threat they don't want to come and sit here, right? And for me, I, I'm I'm learning. I I, I host this because I want to learn as much as I want our viewers and our listeners to learn. Well, there was a kid that reached out to me recently. He owns a hockey school. He's just starting, and he's like, you know what you've done with Vital, and I just want to sit down and you pick your brain. And he's like, you know, and, and he said he said a few really nice things. I said, hey. I'm not better than anyone. I've just made, I had longer to make mistakes mm -hmm. and I, I don't take myself serious enough not to learn from my mistakes. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> That's all it is, right? Like, you know, just you're gonna make tons of mistakes and just, and, and love the mistakes you make, just learn yeah. from them. Other than parents, in your outside hockey world, who would be someone that you look back in your life that you learned something from, uh, a lesson or experiences from that have helped shape you into who you are today? My wife, mm. my wife is the most, resilient, hardest working uh, human being on the planet. And I've watched her, her persistence and tolerance in the most difficult situations. Um, and it, it really did help my coaching get to a whole nother level. Because when you see love at that level, especially as we brought our kids up and you're seeing them mm -hmm. too, right? Yeah, yeah. And you see someone who's willing to wake up at four o'clock in the morning on, on no sleep and drive them everywhere around the world, you really do understand the, the benefit of putting yourself second. Mm. Right. And, and, you know, especially, you know, all the older Italian ladies and everyone <laughs> jump into her aid and it's right. hard to, to listen. It's like their culture, their right. community. Right. Right. And it's hard to listen sometimes at that point. But you do. Right. And you kind of always she always kept her ears open and used just what was in her to make our girls the most amazing human beings so far. And for herself, she's always growing. She's an amazing educator as well. So I'm going to have to say her, you know, next to my parents. She's uh, she's my role model. Amazing. That's awesome. Um, and uh, your greatest athletic accomplishment is? Uh, I'd have to say my time, um, my time with the uh, deaf community, mm. with uh, coaching the deaf national team. Right. Um, just being able to get guys that were hard of hearing from all over different provinces mm. and get them together toward a common goal. And even though we lost in the, in the finals to, uh, Finland that year, um, just to have everybody in the room knowing that we still accomplished a hell of a lot, 
And um, I think that was my greatest accomplishment. It was just so much fun. It was at the national level. And Amazing. Walter Gretzky was our spokesperson. And oh, that's great. Out with him. So I, I'd say that. That's great. Your greatest personal accomplishment? Staying married 13 years. <laughs> and having, still, still having love for each other and still uh, going through the many moments that couples have. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that and, and that speaks for our kids. And, and even Vital Hockey speaks to that too because um, just as a family, being able to, to feel that fire from underneath. Mm. Just, you know, awesome. Do you have a nickname? Shakes. Say why? Why is that? Uh, Lindsay offered one time. I, I was. I listened to everything he said. He said to have our head on a swivel, and so I went out through the next shift, and I was like, <laughs> and he was like, "Why are you so shaky all the time?" <laughs> and then the name Shaky came, and the guys that I still date, the meet seal, uh, guys that I still play with, still call me Shakes. It's crazy. That's funny. Talk talk about taking a coach's direction like to heart, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. When you respect, when you know that a coach. It's not fear-based coaching, it's respect-based coaching, he's doing it because he cares, yeah. and you will listen to everything they have yeah. to say. Right? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, like, that's what I see in you, as I said before, right? I see the, yeah. the players listening because they want that gold nugget you're going to give, and they go all in right. on that gold nugget. Um, what's the one thing that we don't know about Jim Vitale? Personally? At any level. <laughs> yeah, personally, personally, let's, let's go there. Um, I'm dying to learn how to swim. So you don't know how to swim. I, I tread water like, like sink. And your daughter's a synchronized swimmer. And, and you know, and that's what it was, watching her master that sport. I've always, uh, that's something on my bucket list that I want to do. I want to learn how to when swim. You, when are you going to get that done? I got, I got a 16-foot above-ground pool. Um, it's good for one lap. Okay, you got you to film that, put it on Instagram, and, and, and tag a whole bunch of us. Challenge accepted. Okay, awesome. Right. And uh, what's your dream? What's the big thing up there in the sky you're going for? You know what? Um, I'd love to continue to uh, tap international markets. I think the Chinese market is something huge right now. That You know what? Financially, would be rewarding, but seeing a lot of the people that with their fangs out trying to get in there mm -hmm. for all the wrong reasons, um, I think China has a lot to offer, but I think they need to be guided by someone who also cares about growing the game properly. Mm -hmm. um, so I think... Being part of something like that, like you said, pioneering a new market like China, would to me be uh, rewarding. Awesome. So, what are you up to now? Where can we find you? Give us your social media links, and you know what can we do as viewers, myself, to help you in in, in that process of getting there? Uh, you know what? Instagram, Vital Hockey Skills. Um, Great name, by the way. The logo. If anybody hasn't checked it out, Vital. It's like the heartbeat. It's like perfect. Started so that in high school as a project. Grade yeah. twelve phys ed. Yeah, that's um, that, that's that, yeah. that's that's one of those iconic brands out there that I look at and think, yeah, like. I wanted to get I, I wanted to get an A plus, so I went and registered the business, <laughs> and I wanted to have that paper in with my project. And my dad said, "What are you gonna do with that? Get back to work, right?" And I was working for ten bucks an hour. But anyways, uh, Instagram, YouTube. Okay. Um, anytime anyone has a question, uh, Jim at VitalHockeySkills.com. Awesome. Yeah, and you're open to people reaching out. Always and questions. Always awesome. Yeah, and I, and I see I see the amount of engagement that you have on your Instagram, you talked about responding to kids. I see how much you respond to comments and, and yeah, you're like, you're fully in there. So good, good for you. Yep. Um, so this is it, man. How legends are made, like I said at the start, was about helping athletes be better, man. You've thrown so much awesome content on the table. So grateful for you to be here. My thing is booyah, right at the end of, I don't even know really what it means, but it's just like yep. this powerful thing. So let's sign off with a, with a unified booyah. You look at your camera, I'll look at mine. Um, on the count of three, uh, one, two, three, booyah! Booyah! Thanks, Jimmy. All right, buddy. Thanks Take for care, everybody. Me. Awesome.